we are in a series that you're not going to like because I don't like it. It's a series of messages about stewardship. And uh, in church circles, in church situations, if you know the word stewardship, uh, oftentimes the instant reaction when a pastor stands up to talk about stewardship is one of either grabbing for the wallet or rolling one's eyes and saying, that's what I knew. I knew this church would be asking for my money. We did ask for your money. You came, uh, you were here through offering and then some kids came and shook you down a little bit. And uh, we thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness. But this morning, the second week of our, our, our series is really intended to keep us in this conversation about reminding us that stewardship, uh, knowing what is God's and giving back to God what is His, is really lordship. And last week we jumped into the series and we taught uh, uh, the first message on what lordship is and we answered it this way. Five points. Write these on your heart. Lordship, first of all, is accepting that God is supreme. The the supremacy of God. That He is the the Alpha and the the Omega. The beginning and the end. He is God Almighty. He has everything. He's created everything you have, everything you see. Secondly, lordship is placing God at the center of our lives. That's what lordship is. Lordship, number three, is accepting responsibility and accountability of knowing that what we have is not our own and that we are responsible to give it back to God. Fourth, lordship is doing. It is acting out God's will. It's being active in this world for him. And fifth and final, lordship is personal obedience regardless of the cost. Lordship says, I will count the cost of what it means to follow after Jesus and still step out in faith in him. This morning, we're going to take the next step in this series, next step in answering some questions in this sermon series. And the second question that I want to answer in, in, in part this morning, and we'll continue this next week, is why is or, or is lordship even necessary in my life? Uh, we live in a culture. I, I don't know about you. I, I, I don't know about you, but in certain classes when I was in school, uh, there was a, a mindset, especially if I didn't like the work that was involved in a class, I, I would try to get by with as little work as possible. Anybody else want to confess that? Anybody else do as little work as you could in certain classes? Let's just imagine it was only in school, right? Uh, That doesn't creep into our work life or our relational uh, life where we think we can just do the bare minimum. How many of you do that on your taxes this morning? You want to confess that? (laughs) We've got three people from the IRS watching for a hand raised. Our culture continues in that mindset of thinking through the, the idea of what's the, little, what's the, what's the least I, I, I can do to still get the same return, right? To still get the same results, I, what's the minimum that I can do? How late can I show up for church and still have counted it as I've been to church? What, what's the answer there? Just show up in time for me to close in prayer. That would be fine. I, I'll, I'll count it. Our culture continues that mindset in many of the areas of our life. We see it only in our coworkers, right? 
We don't see it necessarily in our own life, but we see it in our coworkers, especially. They, they try to get by with the, the least amount. If the, the boss says that we have to uh, produce 5,000 parts, and we know we can do that in two hours, we'll find every way to take all eight hours to do it, right? Isn't that the common denominator within humanity? So it is, I think. In many ways in our spiritual lives, especially in this area of lordship, what we understand, maybe maybe you have accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. You you have accepted his free gift of grace. And then we kind of go about our business hoping that by accepting Jesus as savior, we've done enough and we can go back to our business and we can continue to struggle with some things and we can hope that we're at least better than our neighbor who has never accepted Jesus Christ as savior. This series of messages is is attempting to blow that mindset out of the water because the gift that we've been given by being saved by grace and faith alone requires us to respond in kind and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Why is complete and total surrender to Jesus Christ a necessity? I want to answer that. I want to start with an illustration that I've heard probably my whole life from different pastors in my life. I've heard this story being told, and every time I've heard it, I have no idea if it has any truth to it, but it's a fun story to tell. And this story's been told a bunch of different ways in my life as I've heard this idea preached. And the story goes something like this. A church in Eastern Europe, a congregation gathered on a Saturday morning for worship. They're gathered there, sitting together in their seats, their pews, and the pastor or the priest is standing before them and about to go into the scripture lesson of the morning. And in through the back of the door comes some combat-ready, militant, prepared soldiers. And they look like they're up to no good. And the story continues, these gentlemen come down full combat gear, ready, rifles in hand, and they stand in front, they turn and face the congregation, and everyone is eerily quiet. And one of them speaks up and says, if you are not a true believer in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to leave before what happens, happens. And the storyline goes that about half of the congregation stands up and walks out quietly, leaving half remaining there in their seats. And after those who have left are gone from the building and out, wondering what's about to take place, those soldiers, those militant men, turn down, sit down, and ask the priest or the pastor to continue. They simply wanted the hypocrites to be gone before he did his teaching. I kind of like that story. It's a little bit squeamish. It's a little bit uh, topsy-turvy. But I, I, I think it tells us the reality that I think we all know that we are continually bombarded with a, uh, a question of is complete and total surrender necessary for me to be who I need to be in Christ Jesus our Lord? Lordship is not just an issue within the church of Jesus Christ today. It is, I I believe this, it is the issue within Christianity today. 
asking the question, is it really necessary for me to surrender everything, all I am, everything I have to Jesus Christ our Lord? Most of us, we fall into the same category that we talked about last week, where Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 15, the, the, the Pharisees are catching his disciples, uh, not doing what was common within the religious elitists. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus uh, interacts with these Pharisees and he calls them hypocrites. He, he points them out and says, you hypocrites. The Greek word is really the word that we still get the, the word actor from. A person who plays a part because these Pharisees were notorious for playing a part. And Jesus says to them, you honor the Lord your God with your lips, but you deny him by your lives. Jesus says Isaiah was right when he quoted that. And here we are in 2019, where the same reality that Jesus spoke of in Scripture is very real in our world, with our church even. Isn't it interesting, can, can I just say this? Isn't it interesting that in church world, it, you, if, if you've been a part of Hyde Wesleyan Church for any length of time, you've probably heard uh, the same mantra during announcement time uh, in different seasons, where we're like, hey, we're looking for people to put trunks out in the yard. How many of you guys have heard that announcement? We're looking for people to set up their trunk for trunk or tree. We need more volunteers in the kids' ministry to change diapers. We need more people to keep our pastor on a leash. We need more people. We make announcements all the time about needing people to serve. Isn't it interesting how in a church our size, we continue to seek out people who are willing to say, I surrender my time and my energy and my resources for the purposes of God's church here at Hyde Wesleyan Church. Isn't it interesting that we in our church and most churches across the United States continue to have to beg people to serve? And yet there exists even in our community a, a, a church of a false gospel. Let me say it that way. The, the Mormons. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you haven't met them, wait for your doorbell to be rung. They are intent. Almost every member of a Mormon congregation devotes a year and a half to two years to be on mission in a community not their own to tell people about their faith. Isn't it interesting that as we look at headlines, we see people of many false faiths, many people who have put their time and energy and resources into a false knowledge of who God is, willing to lay their lives down for the sake of what they hold to be true. Isn't it interesting, maybe convicting this morning, that we as American Christians spend money on entertaining ourselves, on making sure that we're keeping up with our neighbors, on, on making sure that we have enough toys to still be one of the boys, right? Isn't it interesting that we do that? We spend our time and our energy, our resources on things that are popular, the things that are common in our circles, and yet when a, a pastor stands before a congregation and starts talking about stewardship and, and tithing and resources and the needs of our community... We sometimes argue, no, I, this is mine. I've earned this. It's my money. So why is lordship necessary? Let's start with two reasons this week. First, lordship is necessary 
because it settles, again, this conversation of the position issue. This brings us back to last week's definition of what lordship involving the issue of priority. Lordship settles the question of who is at the center, who is number one, who is in charge, who's the pilot of my life. The position issue, each of us that chooses to walk with God must settle this question of who it will be that will be number one. The question can be asked this way, who has control, who's in charge, who is leading your life? And there's a familiar church phrase that gets used, it's been used my whole life, that says that Jesus is either Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. I like it. I don't know that I'd wear the t-shirt. Maybe I'll get it right here in Sharpie. Sharpie is safer than needle. Jesus is. It's not a cheesy phrase. It's got a powerful truth in it. Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. And the truth is, we don't have to dig very deep at length into Scripture to find this truth reading true. In fact, the book of Genesis, this is the oldest reminder we have back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, the interaction of Adam and Eve and the serpent. Genesis chapter 3, I want to start with verse 1 this morning and read to you. Uh, If you have your smartphone or a tablet, you can follow along on the Bible app, but you can also follow along on the screen or in your Bible this morning. Genesis chapter 3, listen to this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made, and one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Verse 2, of course we may eat fruit from the garden, the trees in the garden, the woman replied. The only, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat of it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced, verse 6. She saw that the tree was beautiful, that its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate of it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, and so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. As old as humanity itself... The enemy has been seeking to devour us, cause us to lose sight of this position issue. Uh, Of calling ourselves into a place where we do not belong. Of elevating ourselves to a point where we think we've got something. Here in this interaction, the enemy, the devil, Satan himself in this serpent image comes to Eve and interacts with her in such a way to talk her into something that sounds pretty good. Don't you want to be like God? Don't you, don't you want to have that power? Don't you want to have that knowledge? And Eve says, that sounds great. Yes, I do. This fruit doesn't look very poisonous. This doesn't look very dangerous. And absolutely, I want the wisdom. And so she took 
and ate and shared it with Adam. And the rest is repeat history. The enemy continues to seek to get us to choose to move God somewhere down the line. To move God's commands somewhere down the line. If the enemy can only move God to second seat, second step, the enemy has won. So Lordship helps us settle the position issue. Not giving in to our bent, the DNA within us that causes us to desire to be equal with God. Another position issue story in the New Testament involves Jesus again and Peter. In John chapter 13, we have this interaction before Jesus is crucified, buried, and resurrected. He's interacting with the disciples in the upper room in John 13, starting with verse 3. Listen to these words from God's Word. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his rope, and wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Imagine this taking place. Jesus then began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't, you can't belong to me. So Simon exclaims, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replies with this teaching. A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. You disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than a one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I like this interaction. Jesus having a meal with his disciples and breaking tradition in this moment, breaking the tradition of the meal shared together, interrupting the end by beginning to wash their feet. And Peter is objecting, as Peter likes to do. Jesus, Jesus was not position conscious, conscious about his disciples. Peter was. Peter, as we talked about last week, is always kind of looking over his shoulder, right? To see where he is in the lineup. And maybe in this interaction, we have to read between the lines a little bit. Maybe he, he, he watches Jesus washing some of the other disciples' feet and he's like, yeah, that guy's got stinky feet. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that guy, he needs your lordship. That guy needs a touch from you, Lord. He, my brother, my disciple, Peter, he's bad off, Lord. Wash him. And then Jesus comes before Peter, and Peter objects. Because Peter's looking at the ladder, right? 
He's looking to find out where he is among his peers. He's looking to find out if he's been following Jesus enough to not need his feet washed. We're taught all around us by society, by our jobs, by our culture, that the world would say that there are those beneath us, right? This lesson that Jesus is teaching as Messiah, as teacher, as rabbi, as Lord and teacher to these disciples, that he is not positionally above these disciples. Rather, he's willing to surrender himself, to submit himself, to humble himself and wash their feet. The world would say there are those beneath us that we shouldn't have to help, to serve, or to minister. But Jesus' example removes that position-conscious lie. Lordship teaches us to minister to all. It acknowledges that Jesus is Lord and therefore evens the playing field. It levels the reality of humanity. That we are all in the starting line together. That there's no jockeying for position in humanity. That if we have surrendered to Jesus as Lord, He is supreme. And we are not. And we have a role to play in His kingdom. Pride it gets in the way every day of the week. Amen? Lordship settles. It reminds us. It helps us to kill that inner pride reality. It reminds us to minister to all. Jesus as our example. Philippians chapter 2, we have this command in Scripture. Starting with verse 8, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave. Was born as a human being and appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Just as Jesus put God first... Just as Jesus had God the Father at the center of all He did, He is our example. He submitted to the Father's will first. He humbled Himself to be a servant, even to death on a cross first. We are to be like Him. We are to follow after His lead. And yet, just like us as humans, we desire our own way. And so even in this area of lordship, we, we, we surrender lordship in these categories. Maybe you're here this morning and you've surrendered uh, to Jesus as Savior and you said, Lord, you are Lord of my salvation. You are in I surrender my eternal destiny to you. I, I want you to save me. I, I, I don't know if there's anyone here this morning who would not want to say that, right? Or we say, I want the salvation offering. I want the lordship. I want Jesus to have control of where it is I spend eternity. That's often what we talk about in evangelistic circles. We want Jesus to save us. Jesus wants to save us. He also wants to lead in every other area of our life. Our eternal destiny is one of those areas. Where it is, we will end up when we are done breathing and our hearts are done beating. Jesus offers lordship of our salvation. 
Jesus offers lordship of our families. Scripture says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ Jesus our Lord loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, uh, Jesus wants to be Lord of our family lives. He wants to be Lord of our marriages. He wants to be Lord of every area of our life. How about everyday life? Colossians 3. Whatever it is you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Everything we do, whatever it is we put our hand to, whatever it is we go, whatever it is we're studying, whatever it is we are training for, everything we do, we must, as followers of the Lord Jesus, surrender that to His Lordship. And again, pride gets in the way. We pull back Sometimes it's when the going is good, when things are okay, when the paychecks are coming in, when life is not as bad as it is for my neighbors, we pull back lordship. Lordship settles the position issue that God is God and we are not. That God is able, that God has the strength there's another word in our culture called humanism. It's a, an ideology that is continuing to gain momentum in many of our circles. We see it a lot. Humanism would say that everything you believe about yourself, that yourself, that you are the center of everything, it is so common, even if it's not called it, it is so common that we are what matters. Culture screams it, preaches it, sells it to us every day of the week. Can I say it from this pulpit? Humanism has to die in the lives of believers. Jesus says we have to die and carry our cross. If we're not willing to do that, we're going to buy into the lie of secular humanism that says you are number one. When we settle the lordship issue, God truly will take center seat of everything we do in our life. It's necessary. Everything else in life is vying for your time. Everything else in, in life is vying for your resources, for your energy. God says, I want to be Lord of all. Secondly, Lordship is necessary because it settles the permission issue. It, did you grow up like I did where you knew how to play this game? That... Uh, you had to make a conscious decision on if you wanted to ask to do something. Uh, for instance, on a Sunday, if I wanted to go to a friend's house after church on a Sunday, I knew to ask my mom instead of my dad. Dad was up preaching, sometimes multiple services, lots going on. Mom was sitting on the front row doing the pastor's wife thing. A little less stress in the moment, maybe. Maybe mom would be a little more lenient than dad saying, no, I know about that family. You're never going to their house. We do that to some of you families now, with our kids. (laughs) 
Did you, did you know which parent to go to about certain things, about, about asking for permission? Did you have different levels, different categories of, of, of things that you're like, oh, is this the week that I should ask mom if I can stay out late? Or should I ask dad? I wonder which one would say yes quicker. Lordship is necessary because it settles for us the permission issue of everything in our life. Uh, Answering the question, who is it that has a right to every area of my life? Luke chapter 9, listen to this. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they, the disciples and Jesus, were walking along, someone says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, you know this passage, foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come, follow me. The man said, okay, he agreed, but he said, Lord, first, let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit even for the kingdom of God. This is a difficult passage to preach on. It's a difficult passage for us to even read through because it's so human. Right? Well, we want to give the benefit of the doubt to these that Jesus is interacting with here. Maybe we find ourselves responding in a very similar fashion. That we would never expect someone to uh, say yes without first putting things in order at their homes. Right? Well, we would never ask someone to volunteer in the nursery if they had a funeral that same morning. Right? And yet this passage of Scripture is reminding of the cost of surrendering to lordship, of the true cost of following after Jesus. And then there's some reminders here in the passage. The first reminder for me is that not everyone who comes to Jesus is ready for lordship. Not everyone who's, who says, even with their words, hey, I, I want to follow you, is ready in the moment. For, they, they might have the right words. They might even have the right attitude, but they are so distracted by the things of this world that they really aren't ready to surrender fully to Jesus. In these interactions, two, or maybe all three, want to, they want to follow after Jesus, but they also want the other parts of life. They, they want to follow Jesus as much as it doesn't come in contact with the real life they're living. The second reminder here in this passage is that the Lordship is more than words. Notice here that at least two, if not all three, say, I, I will follow you. I, I'm in. I will follow you. And then they go back and say, but first, all right, let, let me do something else. Let me put some things in order. Lordship is more than just words. Jesus sees our heart. Jesus sees the true innermost part of us. Let me ask you this way. Let me ask you the safe way. Do you know anyone who has fooled you? 
And I'm not talking practical jokes. I'm talking anybody who's told you what, you what you needed to hear in order for you to make a decision. Anyone who's told you what, what, what you needed to hear in the moment for you to think that you were making the best educated decision on all the information submitted and they fooled you. You found out something you had no idea about later on down the road. <laughs> Have you ever been the person that did that to someone else? Don't raise your hands and don't look at your spouse. The, the truth is, well, we're, we're pretty good with our words, right? And, and our poker faces. I can't see your heart. You can't see my heart. Only God sees our true intentions. And I want to remind us, we cannot fool God. We, we can't say enough. We can't do enough to make God truly believe that we are fully surrendered without fully surrendering. We may be able to fool each other. We may be able to volunteer more hours than the person sitting next to us. We may be able to bring both of our family vehicles for trunk or treat. That's, that's full commitment. But in this area of fully surrendering, of uh, surrendering lordship to Jesus, we can't fool him by doing enough. Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. In this passage, Jesus also teaches lordship requires change. A, a, a different way of thinking. That we, we can't surrender to lordship in Christ and continue going through the same motions as everyone else in this life. The trajectory of our lives is different if we are surrendered to the lordship of Christ. Lordship requires full commitment. We're going to close and I'm going to ask you to open up your, your bulletin this morning. There's a, there's a fun kind of ha-ha joke that happens in uh, many of my circles with peers. The, the question of, hey, how cool would it be for someone in your church to write you a blank check? To walk in on a, on a Sunday and just say, Pastor, I won the lottery. And anything you want, here's the check. Make it happen. That would be so cool. If anybody wants to do that, I'm in. I'm, I'm going to flip that Reality, right? Maybe you've had the conversation, not inside of your ministry uh, career, but maybe in your, in your home life. Uh, how cool would it be to have a blank check, not find a blank check, but for someone to seriously give you a blank check and say, sky's the limit. Whatever you need, make it happen. No holds barred, no restrictions. Well, how cool would that be? Wouldn't that be cool? Do you have some ideas of what you'd do? Don't tell them to your neighbor right now. They may not be holy ideas. I'm going to flip this reality. This, this is what we're truly talking about here is giving God ourselves a blank check. As a blank check. Saying, God, I'm everything I am, everything I have, every ounce of time, every ounce of energy, every resource I have, it's truly yours. So in your bulletin this morning, you have two of them. I want you to give one to your neighbor if they don't have one. And, and I want everyone to have one of these checks together. It's a fake check. Don't try to take this to the bank. We made up the numbers on the bottom. It won't do anything. 
But we're going to go old school this morning a little bit with this visual reminder that I'd love for you to tuck away in your pocket, in your purse, maybe in your Bible after this morning. Take a check look at it. It's got the church address up there, uh, signed by or uh, uh, written from a surrendered child of God. That's to be you, care of the Hyde Wesleyan Church this morning, and paid to the order of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you see in the dollar amount, we put the infinity symbol there. Infinity is bigger than a bunch of nines. You know that? We can think of some pretty big dollar amounts, right? Some things that would solve some issues. We know an estimate of what it's going to cost to replace the roof and the carpet, to renovate the lobby and expand our parking lot. It'd be nice to have some nines on a check, right? But you know what infinity means? It means everything. Before and after, there's, there's no start and end. It's everything. And that's what Lordship requires of us. And we wrote there in the dollars line, Jesus is Lord, and I willingly surrender everything to be used for his glory. And then again in the memo line, complete, total surrender. There's another fancy church word called consecration, which is a, a holy dedication of ourself, of our, of our items. You, you see it played out as families come and dedicate or consecrate their child back to the Lord during a child or infant dedication here at Hyde Wesleyan Church. It's a beautiful picture. It, it, it's a reminder. It's not us saying, hey God, guess what? I have this baby and I want to give it to you. It's us actually acknowledging in those moments, God, you gave this to me and I, I want to give it back to you. Not because it stinks, but because I know it's a blessing from you and I want everything that I do with this blessing from you to honor your kingdom purposes. That's this idea of acknowledging that everything that we have, not a dollar amount this morning, this is not, I'm, I'm not asking you to sign this and turn it back into the church. This is just for your sake. Whether you sign it or not, I, I, I want you to have it somewhere. I, I, I'm praying, I've prayed as we printed these this past week that the Lord would use this as a convicting method of our hearts and lives that people, even this morning, would surrender completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want you to hold your check. And whether you sign it today because you have acknowledged that Jesus is Lord of everything in your life, I, I invite you, if, if Jesus is Lord of everything in your life, I, I invite you to sign that and tuck it into your Bible. If maybe today you're deciding, hey, I, I need to, I need to decide here and now that Jesus is Lord. If something from these messages already has rung true in your heart and life, and you're like, yes, that, that is my next step, I have to surrender it, I have to give it to the Lord. Then sign the check and tuck it into your Bible or your pocket. Put it on your fridge. I, I would love, I said this in first service, I would love for some families to sign these checks and put them on their fridge and their kids walk by and think about stealing them. Wouldn't that be funny? I hope nobody takes it to the bank because then I'll get in trouble probably. I, I would love for families to have conversations. I would love for dads to sit their family down and have a conversation about how the Lord is going to be Lord of their family. I'd love for husbands to humble themselves and say, you know what? The Lord is going to be Lord of our marriage. 
And I humble myself this morning. I would love for wives to do the same. I'd love for a kid to get it. And to say, even at my young age, I surrender everything I have to God's service. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, as we did in our first service this morning, I declare publicly, I confess, you, Lord Jesus, are Lord of this church. This local church is yours. Everything we have, every person we interact with, every family associated, every square inch of property, every penny, every missionary associated, we, your people, are yours. Every resource, every ounce of time, every purpose is yours. Lord, would you use your resource here at the Hyde Wesleyan Church for your kingdom purposes? We give ourselves to you as a collective body this morning. And Lord, we, your people, as individuals, as families this morning, we are on at this moment where we can too, as individuals and as families, as groups, surrender completely to your Lordship. And I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do a convicting work in our lives that you would remind us that you desire all of us. The brokenness, the imperfections, Lord, may we choose today to surrender for the first time or for the hundredth to your Lordship. Would you allow us the privilege of serving in your kingdom for your purposes? I pray, Lord, this morning that if there is one within the sound of my voice that does not yet know you as Savior, Jesus, would you save that which is lost. Would you bring back the wayward son or daughter? Would your love surround those who are confused, broken, and bruised? Those who are skeptical, even in this room, would your love be felt by them? And Jesus, as you save, would our response be surrender? Help us to die to ourselves, to the ways of this world, and to give you everything. I pray your blessing, Lord, upon this act of consecration, those who are, even in their hearts, signing the check, <laughs> or even on the check, signing their name. Lord, would you receive our surrender and do with it what you will for your kingdom purposes, for the sake of Jesus Christ, the hope, the only hope for the world. We pray this in Jesus' name.